Welcome to Beauties and Headcanons, where we're nerdy, and you probably are too. I'm Lindsay, and I'm here with Tegan, and we are here to talk nerdy to you. We promised you a second episode on J.K. Rowling and the problematic content that is Harry Potter, and honestly, I think we're also going to talk about Fantastic Beasts as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I apologize, uh, my mind is swimming, so I might even dabble into who knows what on a whatever planet because uh, that's that's where <laughs> I'm at so um, however uh, we'll probably get right into that uh, first though Tegan's got um, some gaming corner to talk about yes so um, I apologize you guys or y'all probably haven't uh, or you might not have seen my post yet I had scheduled some posts to go out um, because I knew that this week I was going to have a lot going on and apparently either the app didn't work or I didn't do it right because they didn't go out when they were supposed to but <laughs> <laughs> I'm hopefully going to be rectifying that shortly but um, some big announcement came out uh, fairly recently like just earlier this week about Bethesda about uh, Microsoft acquiring Zenimax, which includes Bethesda Studios. So, I mean, yeah. I'm sure like lots of people know Bethesda Studios. They do Elder Scrolls. They do Fallout. Um, now, this acquisition includes like everybody under Zenimax as well, which includes like its software and Arcane uh, Studios. So, obviously, you know, with this uh, with this acquisition, you know, there's lots of questions floating around about it. Some of them have been answered. Some of them haven't. So, I just wanted to like do a little quick rundown. So, yes, Microsoft owns everybody pretty much associated with Zenimax. They're all a part of the whole Microsoft family. Um, and now there is question of um, exclusivity and things like that because, you know, obviously there's a lot of different games that is under Zenimax. Um, currently, as far as I'm aware, they're going to be putting on their current games, or at least the Bethesda Bethesda's games, on Game Pass. And as far as future exclu exclusivity, they haven't come out and said yet if all future games will be exclusives. They have said that uh, anything that they has already been contracted to be on other platforms, they will honor that. But as far as um, as far as future games that haven't come out under you know a certain contract to appear under certain consoles. Um, they said that it's going to be reviewed on a case-by-case -case basis. So it could be exclusive. It might not be exclusive. We don't really know yet. Um, there is a crowd of people that I know that are these uh, big-time Sony fans that, you know, uh, they're, they're very, very toxic. And like, pretty much anything coming out of Sony, they just, you know, absolutely lose their minds over. They're just foaming at the mouth over pre-orders and new consoles and new things coming out and they take every opportunity they can to just you know crap over every other console and platform now in my opinion console wars are really stupid you know just play what you want on whatever platform you want and be happy you know and i personally don't want any of the future games to be exclusives i think that would be a real uh, I, I really don't think it would be good but at the same time, I hope that those Sony fans are also clenching their buttholes over this as well. So I, I hope that even while it's not exclusive, that they're going to be nervous about it for a long time yet. So yeah, that is my little gaming corner. We have new acquisitions happening, new mergers, 
new things going on in the world of gaming. I'm surprised, honestly, that, like, Microsoft hasn't just, like, called themselves, like, Microsoft Worldwide or something <laughs> at some point. I, I used to make jokes that eventually we won't be the States of America, we'll be, like, the United States of McDonald's, Disney, and, I mean, I guess Microsoft would be added into that list. I, at the time, wasn't, like, smart enough or, I don't know, worldly enough to know <laughs> what the, the big companies would be in the United States, but I was always, like, you know, McDonald's, Disney, um, et cetera, et cetera, and that's, like, essentially where we're headed at this point. Yeah. It's going to be Microsoft, Disney, McDonald's, uh, Walmart. <laughs> it feels very, like, monopolistic of these companies. Like, more power to them for being able to uh, acquire and, oh, I, I'm trying to be optimistic about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a huge deal. And I, I know that Xbox's, or at least Microsoft's stance has been, you know, they want to extend cross-platform. I know that's one of the things that they've been wanting to do. Sure. So I, I hope that that attitude is, you know, the same in the future as it is now so that, you know, we won't get these exclusive, you know, things coming out from Bethesda. Because even though I have an Xbox and even though I plan to stay on Xbox for a while yet, like, you know, I still don't want it to be just Xbox, you know? Right. Well, and... Uh... I mean, we've talked about the different um, gaming systems and stuff before, briefly, you know, before I get into Cyberpunk and hopefully November, <laughs> um, <laughs> and what is needed and what's required and, and how to get into those different systems. And I mean, I'm still completely blown away, but I know I had boyfriends and stuff who played the PS4 and my brother had an Xbox 360 and... I don't know. I played Nintendo emulators when I was my daughter's age. So <laughs> I, I guess I've played most of the systems in some way, shape, or form, or watched other people play them, I guess. A computer person, right? But I currently don't have a computer that I would comfortably play any computer games on. Yeah. So it's yeah. interesting to me that there's all these different options. And like I said, when I was trying to um, shop for a laptop for work, I was seeing the $2,000 gaming computers and was blown oh, away yeah. by the stats of those. So I get it. It's exciting, <laughs> um, overwhelming, but yeah. it would be great to be able to play all the games on one platform yeah. um, based off of wanting to play the game versus wanting to play the platform. Exactly, exactly. So getting into Harry Potter again, because um, we talked a lot about <laughs> Harry Potter, specifically in a couple of different issues within the original series, we didn't really get a whole lot of time to pick out a couple of other issues, and also we didn't really get any time to uh, really dive into um, Fantastic Beasts, because I know right. there was stuff in there as well that we wanted to talk about, but you know, it just it, we didn't want the episode to be overly long. Right. Well, it's easy to do that. So yeah. um, what I think is really interesting is the fat phobia that you that you don't really realize is there until you get to start thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it starts as early as being introduced to the Dursleys. Um, and again, like I when I was younger, I don't think I noticed as much. I don't think I thought about it. But looking at that uh, looking at fat particularly in mm -hmm. 
the beginning of the Harry Potter series uh, with with that kind of lens is very eye-opening for me. Um, the Dursleys are described as fat and lazy and uh, obese and ugly and all these words that you can imagine that were that are attached to that, right? Because mm-hmm. we yeah. they're they're never fat and how do I explain how it's how it's uh, tempered each time when whenever how horrible they are is mentioned it always is also coupled with their size yeah so like they describe you know their their face or their chins are described or their bodies you know it, it always like defaults to incorporating that into their how mean and terrible they are yes and that i think is the problem that's that's what i didn't realize before that that really makes me so infuriated by it i am trying really hard every time i read an article or try and think back on the movies and the casting and everything to give jk sort of like a benefit of the doubt like no yeah. no I've, I've always sort of like assumed that when a character is cast mm-hmm. and especially cast by um you know hollywood or whatever that the best person for the role is who gets cast you know mm-hmm. uh, based off of their uh screen test so i always assumed that the person who read the line the best the person who um did the best inflections that was the person who gets cast that's always how i assumed it was in uh theater in high school i always assumed that um and especially in i mean it, it should be that way in theater when you get down to it the mm-hmm. the teacher shouldn't have those kinds of preconceived notions etc cetera, etc cetera. this year you've got seniors who are going out and and i i realize now i'm not stupid that that's not exactly how it goes mm-hmm. the roles i got when i was a senior was because i was a senior and mm-hmm. i might not have gotten those roles if a freshman had read them better i get it but i also sometimes you know like I, i'd like to think that i got some of those roles for those okay so i digress but <laughs> I always sort of assumed that those roles are given to the people who deserve the role. Mm-hmm. If you came out for the screen test and you did the best job, then you got the job. Mm-hmm. Um, I was recently listening to something about Moana and how the lady who, um, the girl who got the job, um, she got it based off of um, her reading and how well she did the part. Mm-hmm. When they called her back for callbacks, they had already decided she was it. Uh, but they had her do a little bit of reading just to make sure. And, I mean, that that kind of, like, recognition is super stellar because she mm-hmm. was right off the street. This was her dream to to do this. So since then, she's had a couple of other jobs, a couple of other recognitions based off of uh, being cast as Moana. But that was her first big break. Mm-hmm. And so I always sort of assumed that that's how it works. Like, you go out there and you decide you want to be an actor or actress and you do as many auditions as you possibly can until you land the role and that's how it goes but it really seems like that's not exactly how it went with harry potter in a lot of ways oh, yeah. especially with the fact that like there's so much bias um of the writer on how the, she wanted these characters to look mm-hmm. and um that kind of thing is really not where we're at here in 2020 we're not really thinking that like Hermione couldn't be a, a fat girl but why couldn't she like yeah I I would love to have seen myself as Hermione 
Um, and it's, it's so weird to me to be coming from a point of like, you know, I love cosplay because you get to see yourself in every role. You can gender bend it. You can uh, fat bend it. You can skinny bend it. You can do whatever, whatever you want. But that's not how this went yeah. with Harry Potter and, and the wizarding world. And that really like irritates me. And I think that's essentially like the biggest issue is that that's what irritates me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, like, even, like, the couple of, like, good characters that, you know, are described as, like, plump, like, even though that kind of comes into, you know, the description here and there, like, it's really emphasized when the character is, you know, meant to be an evil character. Like, it's it's much more prominent and brought to the front and emphasized that, yes, this you know, character is fat and, you know, you get this association with, you know, them being big with them being evil because Mm -hmm. it's, it's put on that same pedestal. Or if they're not evil, then they're lazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I know Slughorn, I think was described as, you know, being at least plump, if not, you know, a little bit heavy Mm -hmm. and, you know, he was supposed to be, you know, portrayed as like one of the good Slytherins or at least one of the more neutral Slytherins. But still, like, you know, a lot of things about his character were still kind of shady and a lot of, you know, it, 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 it gets it gets frustrating because you, you don't get, you know, a solid representation of all kinds of body types. Because I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we're all aware that, you know, we're not all, you know, the same One size, size fits all. you know, we're, we're not <laughs> right. all, you know, super skinny and we have a wide range of sizes in human bodies, but you don't see that really portrayed on screen that much. Mm-hmm. And well, and, and it's you know, becoming that's... so much more important to be some, to be able to see mm-hmm. yourself on screen, to be able to see someone who looks like you. Um, We've talked about that as far as color of skin, as far as um, uh, hair color, those kinds of things. So it's important to say, like, that person looks like me. But I, like I said, with theater, I've always thought I could see myself as anyone as long as I had the talent and the ability to read the lines the right way. I don't know. But yeah, there, there is definitely a lot of bias because, you know, obviously... Hollywood is concerned about, you know, selling a product. And when you sell a product, you want to have a good, you know, picture of that product to sell. And right now in the public consciousness, you know, you want thin, pretty people. Even if the majority of the population aren't the same way, you know, they still want that because they want to sell that. They want to sell an ideal, even if that ideal isn't attainable for everybody. Right. What's interesting about that concept, though, too, is that... I mean, eh. and I mean, this is part Hollywood and part Joe Rowling, because I mean, obviously, you know, this is an issue in Hollywood in general, but, you know, also Joe Rowling purposely put this in, you know, these things in her books as well. And she allowed the movies to continue to emphasize these things. So, you Mm -hmm. know, for anybody out there who's like, oh, well, you just said it, you know, this is just a general Hollywood problem. No, Joe totally buys into this as well. She played into it in her books before, you know, the movies ever got picked up. And, you know, she had influence in the movies as well. So she could have said, you know what, let's put some more, you know, let's put a more diverse cast on there. You know, let's do this instead. 
you know, she could have done that, but she didn't. She stuck with what she did. And, you know, again, it is a general problem, but it is also a specific problem as well. Right. Well, and, and so let's talk a little bit about um, writing culture now then, too, because um, lately there's been a little bit of an influx of uh, more gender fluid writing um, whether it be someone who's writing as themselves or writing those kinds of characters, um, it's hard for me to wrap my head around, um, <laughs> obviously, but I am uh, intrigued by the concept of being a good enough writer to write a character who can be portrayed as non-binary or trans or um the multitude of other ways that uh people can choose to be um portrayed how they how they see themselves and how they want other people to see them it's one of those things that i mean this kind of goes hand in hand not just with you know the trans community not just with the gay community but also with like the pe with people of color with indigenous cultures uh, there's you know there's kind of a contrast because people who aren't uh, LGBTQ, people who aren't in those cultures, you know, there are going to be some gaps of knowledge there. And so there comes like this conflict, at least for some people, where it's like, well, you know, you want more representation, but, you know, you want to, you also say, you know, stay in your lane and don't write things that you don't know or understand. And the thing is, it's a very... Uh, I don't want to say it's a thin line, but it's it, it's a distinction in the difference between, you know, writing a story and writing someone else's story. In other words, you know, you can write a story that includes people of color. You can write a story that includes people in, you know, the LGBTQ community. You can include people from the autism spectrum. You can include people with mental illnesses, but don't write their specific story. You... You know, like say I as a white person am not going to be able to write and properly articulate the story of a black person and their struggles in America. Mm -hmm. I don't understand that. I'm not going to be able to portray that. I would rather a black writer handle that instead. Um, and I can still write stories that include, you know, black people or just people of color in general in my stories, but it's a difference between including them and writing out their story and their struggles specifically. So I think that's where a lot of people get hung up is because they kind of conflate the two and they want to write the story of these people. But it's like, you know what? No, you don't. Number one, you don't have to. And number two, you don't have to write out their story in order to include them as well. Mm. Because, you know, I know that's the whole thing. Well, oh, well, you know, sexuality isn't a big deal or, you know, who, who cares if these students are gay or not? This That isn't the focus of the story. Well, the focus of the story is heteronormative anyway for one and you know it, it becomes much more than just focusing on romantic relationships because you know gay people are not just their love lives obviously you know they're multifaceted they're well-rounded it's just one part of them it's just including them in a way that you know makes them a well-rounded character who just also happens to be gay instead of a gay character, you know, trademarked, you know? Right, and right. And that's the difference, I think. 
Well, and that's, I think that's what's um, so fascinating to me about it as well is just saying like, okay, the, let's let's reverse real quick and go back to the fat phobia thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can go that route as well where someone is something and their roundness or their not so roundness doesn't need to be described um, aside from them being a good wizard or a good cook or a good um, teacher. And in so many ways, I know that characters in Harry Potter were described based on their heft versus their wizarding skills versus their uh, goodness or, or badness. And that that's really the trouble is um, describing a person based on those things mm-hmm. instead of... Instead of just describing a person who happens to include those things. Right, right. Um, so let's go back. Uh, there was a couple of things I wanted to mention about, like, Rubius Hagrid. He's always um, mm-hmm. supposed to be a substantial guy, not necessarily fat. Is he Is he described fat in the book? Uh, I don't know that fat, but he is, like, just large in general, I think, because he is, you know, like, part giant. So he's yeah. just kind of all around large, like, tall, broad, everything. Sure, and then um, we know that Longbottom, mm-hmm. um, uh, Neville, he was he was cast um, as such a um, strangely pubescent boy uh, that was clearly in the middle of a growth spurt or something. Um, was that ever addressed by uh, Rowling as to like why he was cast or how he was written in the books? Uh... I'll admit I'm I, I've read Harry Potter once. <laughs> I loved it, but I haven't had a chance to reread it as much as I yeah. would have loved to. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, and I actually like don't own the books like when I initially read them, it they sure. belong they belong to somebody else. So like I borrowed them and read them, but like I never like actually legit owned them. So it's oh. not like so it's not like I can go back and like just look them up and like, "Oh, let me see like, you know, in this chapter what happened." <laughs> you know? Sure, sure. Um <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, Neville, uh, I think, you know, over time he developed into, you know, a much stronger character. Um, I can't really remember exactly how he was described before. Okay, so that's fair. What about, um, uh, Wizarding World and, uh... The Beasts movies. <laughs> yes. Now, this is, like, one thing that I know... Well, a couple of things, really, that um, Rowling really came under fire for. And that was for a couple of notable things. Um, not just in Fantastic Beasts, I think, but also, like, kind of lore that came out because of it. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, before, you know, we'd, we'd known that there was Hogwarts as a wizarding school. And we'd known about Bobatons. And we'd known about... Um, you know, the couple of other schools like that, but we didn't really know anything about a school in America. And apparently, you know, there is a school, one school, apparently for all of the United States. I, I have no idea how that works. <laughs> Cause <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it, it it's must a, be an enormous school <laughs> or there's, I don't know. Americans aren't that magical. One of the two. Maybe uh, it's, it's just so weird. <laughs> it very obviously written by somebody in the UK was, which, you know, Wizard children from all around the UK, yeah, sure, they they could probably all fit in one school, but 
you know, if you're taking that same size and proportion and dealing it out to America, that does not work. It does not work at all. You know, the UK, in, you know, compared comparatively in size is very small. So, it, especially even compared to some US states. So, you know, I mean, for one thing, that's a logistics thing. That's not even anything that I'm going to get into as far as like, oh, that's wrong. But uh, I know she wanted to somehow include, you know, indigenous people in the formation of the school for some reason. So she took some, uh, and when she made the houses, she used uh, some pieces, bits and bobs of indigenous culture. And it was very, very insensitive the way that she implemented it. She didn't really do a whole lot of research. Basically, you know, she just looked she saw something that oh okay that seems cool but she didn't really really research it she didn't look into it she didn't understand the significance behind certain things that she used and you know i think you know people tried to call her out and she just you know as as usual just kind of ignored it because that's you know pretty much par for the course for her she just pretty much ignores criticism when especially when it comes to things like that so, you know, that was obviously extremely problematic to just use indigenous culture to sell a movie full of white people. <laughs> um, and another thing that had come out uh, about a character specifically was very troubling. Um, she had, you know, in the original films, in the original books, you know, Voldemort had the snake, Nagini. And apparently by the time fantastic beast came around she decided that nagini oh she's not just a snake she's an actual person that just shapeshifts and for some reason is just stuck as a snake by the time harry potter rolls around and i mean like we're not even going to get into the i mean we're not even going to get into the you know how offensive it is to have you know a a woman especially a woman of color become a beast that is controlled and used by, you know, a powerful man. But I mean, even just the appropriation of, you know, the whole Naga uh, mythology, because she wanted to assert that, oh, Nagas are this, they're from that. And it's like, mm, maybe if you searched on Wikipedia, that <laughs> might be true. But you know, as you know, like Wikipedia is not always the best source. And I mean, like literal people who were involved, you know, in cultures that include Naga in their mythologies, they were literally like saying, no, this is not the case. This is not right. This is just, you know, it, it's ridiculous. She, she basically, she saw concepts she wanted to use and she just put them to use without really any thought behind potential significance. But if I were to write a story and I wanted to use a concept that I thought was cool mm -hmm. and wanted to write something and went ahead and did that and it wasn't necessarily culturally or racially or uh, stereotypically perfect, would that be the same? Well, I mean, here's the thing, and uh, th this is a thing that I think a lot of people don't really realize or think about, is that racism is not just overt and loud and hateful and vitriolic. There's a lot of different types of racism that come around, and a person can totally 
you know, not intend to buy into racist stereotypes or do things that are racist, but they can still do them. And that, you know, their intention behind that may not be malicious, but that doesn't make it less racist. So I think that's a thing where like, you know, racism is seen as something that's so evil, which it is, but it's seen as this thing like, you know, oh, I couldn't be because I'm a good person and I'm, you know, I, I couldn't do that. But the, you could, you totally can. And it's, it's, it's a learning moment. Like, you know, you, if, you know, somebody comes to you and says, hey, this is a part of my culture and I don't think this is very, you know, culturally sensitive, you know, obviously, you know, people are not a monolith, you know, one person or two people speaking for a culture is not going to be representative of everybody, but it should still, you know, make you pause and step back and say, well, okay, you know, re-examine what you've done and why you did it and, you know, what these people are saying to, you know, think about, you know, do they have a point? You know, because, I mean, we're all learning. We're all trying to, you know, be better people. And one of my favorite quotes from Maya Angelou says, you know, when you know better, do better. You know, mm -hmm. it implies that we are not all perfect. We're not all knowing. We're not, you know, going to be completely 100% cognizant of everything. But when we do learn and when we do know better, then we can do better. So, you know, if somebody, you know, comes up with some concept and publishes it and somebody says, you know, somebody else says, you know what, this is very appropriative and you need to, you know, maybe rethink this, then maybe it's time for that author to sit back and say, you know what, maybe I should, maybe I should have researched this a little bit better or maybe talked with people from this culture or, you know, just, you know, look into it another, instead of just, you know, a little Google search, maybe like read some books or listen to some podcasts or some interviews or, you know, try and find some people from that culture to talk to them and discuss it and you know not that they you know would owe you a conversation about it but if they are willing you know especially if you wanted to you know pay them for their time or you know compensate them for their time in some way then you know that it would be far better than just you know finding a concept and saying yes I like this let's go with it you know mm. and like that's essentially the issue here right that mm -hmm. she never said you know what? I probably don't know anything about this. I should probably look into it. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like she she wants to be seen as this good person, but she does and says these things that are not good. And when this gets pointed out, you know, she just doubles down and she ignores it. And it's like I get, you know, we talked the other um in the other episode about, you know, people growing and evolving, and that I think is far different um than somebody who knows or at least you know their attention is brought to some issue and they ignore it you know again like i said we're not all going to be 100 percent cognizant of everything that we do and when you know it's just going to be impossible but when something is brought to your attention that's the time that you need to take to use that as a learning as a learning experience and not just ignore it and double down and say oh well I'm a good person and I have good intentions, so that's good enough. No, because intentions mean nothing. Impact is what is important. You can have good intentions all you want, but you can still, you know, end up with something very insensitive in your media, like whether you're writing a book or whether you're doing a TV series or a movie or what have you, you know, there's always that potential. So. You know, I, I get that it's very easy to become defensive because we don't want to be seen as a bad person. Right. But at the same time, 
you know, we need to take that advice, you know, especially when people from said culture are saying to you, you know what, this isn't really good, (laughs) you know? Well, and I mean, this is definitely something that can transcend into other parts of lives and uh, Mm -hmm. daily livelihood as well. I mean, how often is it that on social media or whatever else, uh, something's brought to someone's attention about how wrong they are and Mm -hmm. rather than thinking about it yeah (laughs) instead there's a defensiveness and a uh anger behind all of their words and things that they say Mm -hmm. in response to what is said rather than you might be right or (laughs) you know let's agree to disagree or whatever instead there's this mudslinging gross soapbox standing nonsense that goes on yeah and you know again it's i think it's you know these key words these buzzwords that come up and it just you you know like it sets something off where it's like no i'm not a bad person i don't want to be associated with that it's like okay well maybe examine what you said and then you can see you know what's going on I think they're called hashtags nowadays. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, you know, an interesting point came up um, in another uh, conversation thread that I was having on Facebook. Uh, And this is like weeks and weeks ago. Um, But somebody had made, you know, some very ableist statements about uh, gaming specifically. And, you know, it came, you know, at first... You know, the person was very defensive and they were like, oh, well, you know, I'm not ableist. I was just explaining this. And it's like, okay, well, first of all, nobody asked you to explain this. You're jumping in on giving this example that upon yourself. Yeah. You're giving this example that is actually very specific and nobody asked you to do this. And for two, this is in this and for two, this is why this is ableist. And, you know, this person came out later and said, well, I am also disabled as well. So how can I be ableist? you know, like basically asking, how can I be ableist? And it's like, well, you can be disabled and still be ableist. You can, you know, you can be a part of the LGBTQ community and you can still be discriminatory towards those in the community. There are actually a ton of gay and, and lesbian people who are very transphobic, you know, for instance. Um, there's a whole thing for that. Um, you know, so it, that's kind of the, that kind of thing is present in any culture, with any people, you know, it's even if you are a part of something, you can still be ignorant to certain parts of it. So again, it's just, you know, sitting down and realizing that, you know, okay, well maybe society has conditioned me to think a certain way and maybe I need to re-examine that and this person thankfully like you know you know sat down and like actually realized okay like yeah like this this wasn't a good choice you know and you know it actually ended well for once but you know it very easily could have not ended well and they could have you know just still doubled down and said no I'm not ableist and this is an ableist you know and again, I think people get too caught up in, you know, I don't want to be perceived as bad where, you know, they don't even want to consider that maybe I believe or maybe I have said things that, you know, aren't, that aren't particularly good, you know, 
they don't want to sit down and admit, oh, well, maybe I do have some racist stereotyping that I have going on in my head, or maybe I do have some ableism that I'm thinking of, or maybe I, you know, it, 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 the whole perception and how you, we want people to see, you know, what we put out there, it very much hampers growth, I think, at least for a lot of people, where, because, you know, again, we want to be perceived a certain way and we want to deny everything that, you know, counters that. But in the end, if, if that inhibits your growth as a person, then I think it's really time to step back. And I mean, especially with everything going on with coronavirus, with, you know, um, with protesting and, you know, just everything that's going on with the presidential election. I mean, <laughs> people, I think, really need to take a break from social media, I think, in general. Yeah. You know, at least take a really big step back because I, I swear I have seen so many more fights and so many more, you know, uh, mudslinging going on and it's like y'all just take a step back and calm down like I know we're all going a little stir crazy but <laughs> <laughs> this isn't good yeah. either that being said anything else uh, that you wanted to make sure we touch on with uh, the wizarding world and the problems that it um I mean, I think we've pretty much covered everything. Um, yeah, because, I mean, we covered the whole, you know, writing characters who are gay and yeah. portraying them and, you know, not making the gay part the whole of their character, but still acknowledging that. Um, because I know that was a big thing that came out with the Fantastic Beast movie because you had Dumbledore and you had Grindelwald. And, mm -hmm. you know, Joe Rowling had said that, yeah, they were gay, they were a couple... You know, but no mention of it was going to be said or really alluded to in the movies. And people, like, were on all sides of this. And I know some people were like, well, you know, we don't want it to be all about sex. And, I mean, for one for one thing, that's not what relationships are all about. Right, right. That may be one component of it, but that's right. not the be-all, end-all of it for both, for any kind of relationship. Whether it's gay, whether it's straight, whether it's a mixed orientation marriage, like, it's or relationship it's you know sex is not going to be all or else it's going to be a very bad relationship you know well and to be fair too the way that that was portrayed in fantastic beasts i mm -hmm. wanted more i yeah. didn't want them to be like eyeing each other and nothing but i also wanted more than some kind of a weird angsty uh, Non nonsense, like yeah, like you wanted some sort of acknowledgement, and I was looking for it, and that's what was what was troubling me the most about it. And then, that, like Jude Law is fantastic. I was yeah hoping for it and not really catching it. And then on the same end with um, Johnny Depp, I was really looking for it, and eh, I I guess I could, no didn't see it. So it was. Yeah, I felt let down by that. Like, it's one of those, I think, squint and you miss it things where, yeah. like, if you squint your eyes and kind of tilt your head sideways, then maybe you could see maybe it. Maybe you caught it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and he, another thing that I, I think was said was like, oh, well, this is back in uh, whatever year this was supposed to be in, you know, gay people weren't out. And it's like, oh, are, are we are we really going to go through that? Because that sounds, an awful, yeah. that sounds an awful lot. Like, we're trying to erase history and erase the fact that, you know, gay people have been around 
for hundreds of thousands of years. Like we've been here, we exist. You know, we may not have well, been there as been out pictures about that have it, come but... out of soldiers that were together that yeah. were clearly couples, and uh, the pictures, you know, are, are documented. They may not have been openly flamboyantly prancing around but love is love and yeah. it was love then too yeah it's, it's just, just very strange to, to it, it's just back then it was more of oh well those two are good friends and so they've yes. moved in together you know and yeah. you know it just wasn't it wasn't acknowledged as a romantic relationship but right. it was still there that doesn't change the fact that it was there that they existed that there was still ways to acknowledge this um there was actually a fantastic little series um about Anne Lister who was pretty much as flamboyantly lesbian as you can get for the time period that she lived in and it's so interesting like looking at her life and looking at you know everything that she did everything that you know she was involved with and yet also know that you know she she definitely was not straight and she lived and I mean, she lived back in the 1800s, like she was born in 1791. And I mean, mm. this was, you know, she, she owned land, she wrote diaries, and she was obviously into the ladies, you know, <laughs> but you know, we, sure. again, you know, history is, history is written by people who want to emphasize certain things. You have to really dig to look for real history. And, you know, if you really dig and look into history, you'll see that gay people have been scattered all over everywhere. <laughs> you know, people of color have been scattered all over Europe in, you know, 1800s, 1700s, even before. You know, they've always been there. It's just, you know, we look at the whitewashed, cishet, you know, bleached down history that, you know, we're just spoon fed in school. And then by the time we get out of school, it's like, eh, I know enough. <laughs> you know right and i'm 35 and still learning so well, 34 yeah. and still learning so. oh yeah and i mean so what so am i i mean it's it's a constant you know educational process to you know cuz again we're not going to just discover magically discover like this you know secret stone that's going to bestow upon us all this knowledge right. that we need right. you know it we're constantly going to be learning and that's a good thing. If anything, that is a good thing. So Right, like, in that vein, what a time to be alive. <laughs> yeah, where we can actually access different things to further our own education. So, I mean, again, I mean, this has kind of been a another tangent. But, you know, if Ann Lister could be, you know, a landowner and could be a pretty much more or less lesbian, open enough for the time that she lived in in the 1800s you know i think in the 1900s you know two men could definitely have an eluded romantic relationship without you know having some sort of gay trope thrown in there or well, and you know have it emphasized. they also have magical wizarding powers and... yeah so i mean really are like how realistic do how you realistic really want do we to, need be? to be yeah like i mean we're not doing a historical drama here honey we we are doing magic <laughs> Yeah. Like, what are you really expecting? I don't know. <laughs> well, that's all I have for today. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Check out our social media on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Tumblr, and Twitter. Um, I'm going to get the posts sorted 
post haste so that we will get that posting again. And so I'll be posting uh, every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday um, every week as long as my apps don't mess up. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, I'm Tegan. And I'm Lindsay. And thanks for getting nerdy with us today on Beauties and Headcanons. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.